conclude our study. I told you at the beginning that we would move fast, and I think we've done that. Uh, But I pray that it has been beneficial to you. I pray that you really have. In the world that we live in that is so crazy, full of so much trauma, so much uncertainty, as we've seen God's sovereign hand at work, I pray that this has been a beneficial time to you. And today, we'll see the conclusion of it. So, let's read this together. All of Ruth chapter 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetrate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to another, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have brought, bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. So per- to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception. And she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter in law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. That They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amenadab, and Amenadab fathered Nashon, and Nashon fathered Salmon, and Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we now come to this portion of your holy and inerrant word. We pray that you would speak to us by the power of your spirit. Lord, as we consider this hope fulfilled, Lord, draw us into this story, a story that is not only for Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, 
but a story that is for us today, a story of redemption, a story of eternal love, a story that will get us safely home. May we see Jesus in these words today, we pray in his name. Amen. Hope fulfilled. Well, last week we saw the the beginnings of this kind of unconventional love story here in the story of Boaz and Ruth. And we said uh, that all of us, maybe secretly, maybe unwillingly, would admit, I think, if we were really held down to it, that we love a good love story. We really enjoy hearing a good love story. But no love story is complete without a happy ending. As, as Ben has already reminded us, we have to have that happy ending to, to make it what it needs to be, right? Sure, there are twists and turns along the way. There may be even moments where we think that, that hope will not be fulfilled, where things are going to fall apart. And we've kind of seen that all along the way here in this story of Ruth. But in the end, we want to see everyone kind of riding off into the sunset, right? Hand in hand, everybody's at peace with each other. Everything is just as we thought it would be. You know, I always pick at my dad and I pick at Bill for watching those Christmas Hallmark movies And I heard this week that they're starting in October this year and that you can stream them and they will actually keep up with the ones that you've seen, which tells me that they are so similar that you don't know which ones you've watched and which ones you haven't. But, but, that is an option if you like that. But, I I pick at them for all of that. But in actuality, there is something very fulfilling about those movies, right? Even though you know how they're going to end, even though you know it's all going to be good in the end, We really kind of like that, right? And what it does is it points to a deeper longing in every single one of us, right? Every single one of us have a longing in our hearts for a happy ending. You know, we we live in a world where we see the difficulties of life, where, where we see the trauma that we experience. If nothing else, we have a desire, a longing for something more. We want a happy ending. And that's certainly right and true. As those who have been made in God's image, as we read the scriptures, we see the way God is moving redemption to an end. It's right for us to want that joyous fulfillment. The problem, of course, is that often the way there seems blocked. Often the way there seems to be rough, seems to be hidden from us. And so the question is always, Will we get there? Will we make it to the ending that our hearts long for? Well, as we have worked our way through this story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, that has been the question that has persisted all along the way. Will they make it to the happy ending that we all have looked for? We've seen how it began with trauma, how the seeds of hope began to to build, how through God's sovereignty, how through the faithfulness of his people, It it went into a full-blown plan, and we saw last week as Ruth went to the threshing floor, basically proposing to Boaz, we saw Boaz respond positively to what Ruth did, but then, then the twist came, right? Just as we thought things were going to be complete, Boaz knows of another redeemer, a redeemer who, who could ruin it all, who threatens to ruin the story. And so, as is so often the case in our lives, we were left to wonder, how will these things work out? 
Well, friends, that's, that's where I want us to pick up here at the beginning of chapter 4. We're going to follow along and see how in his grace, God brings us the happy ending, not only for, for Ruth, not only for Naomi, but through them, he brings the happy ending to all of his people. Even you and I today, here is a story, not merely for us to read, not merely for us to enjoy, but it is a story about you and I right now in 2021 sitting in this congregation today. And so let's look at it and let's see hope fulfilled. The first thing in this passage I want you to notice is a missed opportunity, a missed opportunity. You see it there in verses 1 through 6. Boaz, he doesn't waste any time. Just as he said he was, he goes immediately the next day to the city gate, the place where the the business of the town was done. He gathers up the elders. He gathers up the other redeemer. And I want you to follow along and see how all of this unfolds. In verse 3, he tells him what the story is. He says, okay, Naomi is here. She has come back from Moab. She has lost her husband. He has this land, and you are a redeemer. You can buy it back. There's an opportunity here for this man, and he sees it immediately. It's an opportunity to increase his wealth, increase his standing, increase his inheritance, the inheritance he's going to give to his children one day. And so when he hears it, he immediately says, yes, yes, I will do it. I will buy this back. You know, land in the promised land was a hot commodity. There wasn't a, they weren't making any more of it, as they say. And so he, was, he jumped on the opportunity. Then Boaz, Boaz throws in the surprise, right? He says, okay, you can redeem it, but the day you do, what do you get? You get Ruth. And not only Ruth, you get Naomi. And not only Naomi and Ruth, but but Lord willing, you get a child, a child who is going to take this as his inheritance. And so there's a great responsibility that comes along with redemption. You get two mouths to feed. You get two responsibilities You get a son eventually, and you lose what you are about to redeem. Well, suddenly, this can't-miss opportunity, it doesn't sound so good anymore, right? In verse 6, the man, he is unwilling to take on the responsibility. And did you notice why he was unwilling? He says, lest I impair my own inheritance. Throughout, we have seen Boaz, and we have proclaimed his character as the character of God. He was willing to set aside his own desires, his own needs for those of Ruth. But here we see that this man, he is unwilling to do that. His focus is his own family, his own inheritance, his own financial situation. And what I want you to see is that ultimately in missing the focus of other people and focusing in only on himself, he misses the greatest legacy. He misses the greatest inheritance that he or his family could have ever had. You know, as one commentator, Ian Duguid, as he points out, this chapter four is a chapter devoted to preserving names. It's a a chapter that all along the way we see the names of people passed on, passed down, so that nobody will forget. People like Elimelech, people like Perez and Judah, people like Boaz and Ruth, David, all along the way, that, that genealogy at the end, the point is so that people will see the names of these people. But what's the one thing that we do not know about the other Redeemer? 
this other kinsman. We don't know his name. In verse 1, what is translated there as Boaz saying, turn aside, friend. The, the King James Version translates it as, um, oh, oh, such as one. Oh, such as one. Come, turn aside. Oh, such as one. But the actual Hebrew, the, the best translation is so-and-so. He is Mr. So-and-so. The point that I'm trying to make to you is that the author has gone to great lengths to leave out the name of this kinsman. Now look, he could have done that with good motives, trying to protect this man, his reputation, the reputation of his family moving forward. But I don't think that's the case. Again, Ian Duguid, he says, in rejecting Ruth, this man was trying to protect his future, protect his good name. But in so doing, ultimately, he would remain nameless forever. Did you hear that? He tried to protect his name, but he would remain nameless forever. He missed the opportunity to have a legacy that was truly lasting. Friends, how many people in our world today, how many people sitting here even now are just like this man? They have been confronted with the true prospects of blessing. They have been confronted with the true prospects of eternal life, of mansions, of streets of gold, of all that Jesus has achieved for us. But then they find out that it does come with that Redeemer. It does come with Jesus. And it's going to cost us something. It's not that we just go out in the world and everything is the same as it was before. It may cost us our pride. It may cost us our finances. It may cost us our good name. Certainly salvation is a gift. But you know as well as I do, if you're truly resting in Christ, it calls for taking up our cross and following him. And when they hear that, they say, I didn't sign up for this. They turn and they go the other way. But in so doing, in trying to protect what is their good name, they're like, just like Mr. So-and-so. They've missed out on the only opportunity for true peace, for true forgiveness, to establish a name that that will never go away, to be established in him, in his book of life. You know these words well, but I would invite you, if you can, to turn over to Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. Jesus is speaking here to the church of Sardis there in the letters at the very beginning of the book. And he says these words, Jesus speaking to his people. He says, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. Listen to this. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the church's friends. What greater legacy is there in the world? than to have the very Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, not only know your name, but to speak it, to speak it before his Father in the heavenly courtroom. Even now, if we are resting in him, he is interceding on our behalf. He knows you, and he says, I will never, ever blot out his name. Christ stands forever. And he won't forget. And so the only way to have a truly lasting name 
rested in him. Friends, don't let your pride, don't let your love of the world, don't let your desire for a good name keep you from the only one who can certainly and completely establish it forever. We see a missed opportunity. Secondly, we see in this passage great blessings. Great blessings. And you see it there in verses 7 through 17. And you see it in all three characters' lives, right? These three characters we followed along the way. Our author is a good storyteller, so he wraps it all up in a way that is, is really satisfying. He gives us the blessings that these people receive. And first, it begins with Boaz. What was Mr. So-and-so's great loss ultimately becomes Boaz's blessings. As he promised to do, there before the elders of the city, he redeems Ruth. He buys her back. He marries this one who had come so boldly and proposed to him. This foreigner, this, this Moabite, this one who, who was not of Israel by blood. He buys her back. And notice the, the blessings that he receives. First, that they come from an unlikely source. They come from the townspeople. They come from the elders themselves. Notice what they say in verses 11 and 12. They say, may you be blessed by this woman that you have brought back, this woman who is a Gentile, and what blessings do they put on her? Look there in verse 12. It says, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like who? Like Rachel and Leah. The very mothers of, of Israel, Jacob's wives. May she become like them. Why? So that, that, so that Boaz's house might be established, his name established, he might be renowned, and so that it might be built like whose house? Like Perez and like Tamar. Now it's amazing to me that, that of all the people in Scripture, of all the people in Genesis and the Old Testament, that it is these two that, that they chose to go to. And we're going to come back to this here at the end. But for now, we have to recognize that the author's doing something here. Because if you know this story from Genesis chapter 38, uh, you know it's not a great story. You know it is actually really a hard story to read. It is a story about the sin of God's people. Even, even one of the, the fathers of the tribes, Judah, he sins in a mighty, mighty way. But it's a story of how God, even through the midst of all of that, brings redemption. It's the story of how God was working out a good plan even through all of that. Here, the author is reminding us of how our God works, that the character of the people that he calls, the way he works through fallen, sinful people is the way that he has worked throughout this book of Ruth. He is drawing them together. Certainly because they are descendants, but he is drawing them together because this is an image of, to us, of how God works. And so Boaz is blessed. He is blessed through the acquisition of Ruth. He is blessed by the actions that he has taken. And that leads us to the second set of blessings, and they come to Ruth herself. You know, we already mentioned the praise that these women, that they speak to Ruth and her character. But in verse 13... Her story in so many ways is fulfilled, right? The redemption that she had longed for, the redemption that she had looked for, it is, it is complete. We see the, the wedding takes place. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. 
for Ruth, who began this story so low, yet had been so faithful over and over and over again. She now experiences the covenant faithfulness of the God that she had tied herself to when she tied herself to Naomi, right? Look, I often say that, that weddings are the highlight of my job, and they really are. It's, you know, normally, maybe not always, but normally weddings are joyous occasions, right? They're, they're joyous celebrations. There's a party. There, there is, is love. It, it is really, it is the best part of my job. But can you imagine this wedding? Can you, can you imagine how joyous this occasion must have been? Ruth is redeemed. No longer would she have to glean for her next meal. No longer would she have to seek out protection from those who didn't have to give it to her. No longer would she have to wonder if anybody would care for her. In Boaz, she was now secure. In this covenant faithfulness, this covenant marriage, she is now secure. Look at verse 13. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception. She bore a son. So now, not only is she secure in the present at the wedding, but now her future is secure as well. And friends, don't miss that, that little phrase, the Lord gave conception. I want to be sensitive here, but remember that she had been married to Naomi's son for 10 years before she came back to the land. And in all of those 10 years, she had not had a son. Now, almost in the fullness of time, almost at just the right moment, we might say, in God's time, he gives her a son, a son to carry on the family name, a son to secure her, her future, and not only hers, but also for Naomi, Naomi's. And that's the last set of blessings that I want you to see here. You see it in verses 14 through 17. Here things have truly come for full circle, right? Uh, this woman who by her own admission had come back empty, had come back uh, bitter, who had come back looking against God, thinking that God was against her, she now is overflowing with life's blessings. Again, look how the, the women speak to her. They remind her of the fullness of God's love, of her care for her. You know, though she thought God had abandoned her, she thought she was all on her own. The truth was, is God was with her. He had not abandoned her. He was working in her life in a mighty way to now see God's plan, to now see the redemption that only he can bring. And what a joy this must have been for Naomi. But not only is she blessed by God's favor towards her, she now has the sure knowledge of Ruth's worth to her. You know, all along the way, we could have really questioned whether Naomi understood how valuable Ruth was in her life. She herself was so consumed by grief, she was consumed by the loss that she had experienced, that it seemed she never really saw Ruth. Now she sees her. Women say she is more valuable, valuable to you than seven sons. In this culture, that's, that's value. That's a lot. She has faithfully been with her mother-in-law, and now she gives her the last blessing of all, the baby that she holds in her lap. Naomi holds this grandchild that is hers, and what a scene this is. Again, this, is, this author, this is a, a masterpiece of storytelling. This would make the, the Hallmark Channel proud, right? 
you cut, you, you see all of the things that have happened, kind of running down all the things that have happened in the past. There's the, the nice music going in the background, and then it cuts to this scene of Naomi holding Obed. He was the sure sign that Naomi's emptiness, it was no more. It, it was gone. She was now full. Her life was full of God's blessings. And so these characters, those that we have kind of really invested in over the last few weeks, for them, hope has been fulfilled. No longer are their lives in ruin, but by his grace, God has redeemed them. He he has secured their future, and we've seen how he's done it through the most unlikeliest of circumstances, through even the worst of circumstances. He has been faithful. Now, if the story ended there, it'd be a good story, right? Right? It would be one worth reading if that was the end. Friends, there's a final point that I want us to see here, a point that draws us all even deeper into the heart of what is happening here in the book of Ruth. We have seen a missed opportunity. We've seen God's blessing. But thirdly and finally, I want you to see the rest of the story. Now, some of you are old enough to remember Paul Harvey. I'm just barely old enough to remember him. But I understand that he would say, and now the rest of the story, right? Well, here it is. And if you have, if you have checked out on me, and I understand that could have happened, check back in. Because now is the time. If you've heard nothing else I've said, hear this. Hear what God is doing. He does it in two phases. He does it first for the original readers of this book. I've tried to draw you in to who it was that was reading this first. And that's important to us. Anytime we try to interpret this, it's important. Who was Obed to them? He was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David, the king. The king that these original readers were looking for. This book was written for a people who were either suffering under really, really bad kings or who had no king at all. They had been sent into exile, and they were wondering, just as Ruth and Naomi and Boaz were wondering, what is God doing in our lives? Has he abandoned us? Has he left us here in Assyria or Babylon by ourselves? Will we ever have a true king again? Well, then, in 18 through 21, they give, the, the author gives this genealogy, which may not mean much to us, but it meant everything to them. Because who's at the end? David. David, who God had promised, I will establish your kingdom forever. It will never end. Here is a reminder to them that even through their, their failures, even through the failures of the kings that they had lived under, Even through exile, God was not done. He was bringing a king, a Davidic king. And friends, that leads to our story. That leads to us today sitting here in the pews. A blessing to all of God's people. Not just then, not just to the original readers, but throughout history. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read this. It's going to be long, but stick with me, okay? Stick with me. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, 
and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Abinadab, and Abinadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. All right, all that sound familiar to you so far? Let's keep going. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Y'all still with me? Everybody still following along? Hanging in there? All right, let's keep going. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathen, and Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. That's a long way to get there. 28 generations, according to Matthew's account, from Obed to Jesus. A lot happened in those years. Exile. The people seemed to be gone. But what was God doing through it all? He was blessing. He was bringing redemption. He was bringing a son who was the true Davidic king. A son who would reign for all of eternity. A son who was the spotless lamb of God. A redeemer. A true redeemer. Who would empty himself. Just as Boaz sacrificed our Savior emptied himself and took on human flesh. He became a servant, a slave for us. And he was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. He took sin and guilt of his people. He took all of that on himself. and He died in their place to secure not only their present, but to secure their future eternal hope. And now he stands, friends, as the bridegroom the bridegroom who through covenant has entered into eternal relationship with each one of us, just as Boaz entered into relationship with Ruth, and he promises to care for us. He is even more committed than Boaz to getting his church safely home. Friends, again, here is the grandest love story ever told. Again, what what we have here in Ruth is a masterpiece. But it pales in comparison to what God was doing and what he has done. Christ comes to the unlikeliest of characters. Tamar, Ruth, Bathsheba. He comes to the worst of circumstances. It's a genealogy that we just read that should make all of us blush. But he comes joyfully to identify with each one of us, even the worst of us. He identifies with us, and he comes to redeem, to fulfill our hope 
for all of eternity. Friends, I don't know what you're going through. Actually, for some of you, I do know what you're going through. But I don't know what traumas, what disappointments are you experiencing or what may be on the horizon. Friends, can I assure you today, there's hope. There is sure, unshakable hope. Not because I know things are going to turn out for you like they turned out for Naomi. Not because you're going to sit at the end of your life with everything you wanted like Naomi has. I don't know that. But I can assure you there's hope because I know Jesus is alive today. He is seated at God's right hand and he reigns forevermore. And he will not fail you. The Redeemer that Boaz pointed us to, all of God's promises are yes and amen through him. And so, as the psalmist says, even if the earth gives way, even if the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, as his people, we will not fear because he is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our only sure hope. Friends, if you are clinging to hope today, if you're clinging to hope in Christ, let this book of Ruth and let the one it points us to lead you to assurance, assurance that the hope you have, it will be fulfilled. He will see you through. He will get you home to his father's house. Let's pray together. Father, as we conclude what has been a quick, quick jaunt through this great little book, uh, Lord, we pray that you would bless us. Uh, Lord, the truth is, is in these characters we see uh, so much of our condition. Uh, the truth is, is, is life has not changed all that much. Uh, the, the culture is different. The circumstances have changed, but we still experience the things that, that Naomi and Ruth went through. And truthfully, as, as, uh, if we consider our spiritual condition, we see that we are more like them than we could even imagine. Uh, we are in need of redemption. We are in need of someone to come and to buy us back. Uh, and Lord, you have sent us that through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we pray that always our hearts would be focused on him, uh, the one who is our sure hope, our only sure ground. And Lord, how we thank you uh, for your covenant faithfulness that is endured from generation to generation, uh, from Genesis 3.15 in the garden, even before, all the way now and all the way through the end of time. That faithfulness keeps going. Uh, because Jesus is alive, we are assured that it will continue forevermore. And so, Lord, we look to you now. We praise you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.